All right, this is Godly Parenting Part 2, Lesson 4. And the title of this is Wisdom and Regrets from Spirit-Filled Parents and Their Children. I have a previous version of this in Godly Parenting Part 1. And it was probably the most liked or appreciated lesson out of all of them. And so these bullet points here I've been collecting for probably six or seven years, and we've just never taught them. And so these bullet points are the wisdom and regrets mostly from pastors and also pastoral children. I don't know of anything on here that comes from non-ministry-related family. And so what I've done is I've asked pastor friends of mine who have successfully raised kids, what did you do right, what did you do wrong? I've asked children of ministers who are successfully serving God, what did your parents do right, what did your parents do wrong? And what I have tremendously appreciated was all their honesty. Um, one of my dear mentors, one of my fathers that I look to, he sent me his bullet list, and it hurt my heart so bad because he has lost one of his daughters completely to the world. And I'll point out his when we get to it. But I want you to hear the wisdom and the regrets so that we don't reinvent the wheel. There's no point in going backwards and suffering calamity and hurt when somebody already did it before us. We would be fools not to learn from their pain and mistakes. So we're often victims of our own upbringing. That means we are victims of our parents' ability or inability. And let me say, as a parent, you can't get offended when your kid discusses how you raised them. You can't take that personal. It's what you did. And I know the term lived experience is a very popular, trendy term right now. Parenting and being parented is a co-joined lived experience. And you may think you did awesome, but if your kid testifies otherwise, I'm sorry. It's their lived experience too. I've had to sit in my office and encourage some of our people that want to complain about their parents and say, well, listen, your parents stayed together. They brought you up in the house of God. They fed you, clothed you, and educated you. They maybe weren't the best, but you're doing pretty good. So how about you quit belly aching? All right. We cannot pass along any of the failings we may have experienced. In order to learn from great successes and failures, I regularly interview preachers and leaders I respect. I ask them about their failures and successes as parents. These are their nuggets of wisdom, regret, and mistakes. And most responses have been edited for clarity. All right. So I've kind of lumped these together by topic. So we're just going to read through them. There's, I've got three full pages of them, so I'm not going to stop and exegete what my friends have shared with me. I think they should be self-explanatory. And don't beat yourself up. If I say something and you agree with it, you just say amen, especially if you're guilty of the same problem. Or wish you, even if you wish you had done it but you didn't, say amen, I wish I'd done that. The, the dead silence won't help the current parent realize the importance. And I should also say I haven't included everything that was given to me because it just didn't fit or it wasn't appropriate to where we're at. So these have been selected on purpose. So here we go. When you make a mistake as a dad, repent to your family. They should always know that you value them more than your own ego. There is a famous minister that I do respect, and they said, never repent to your kids. You're the leader. And I vehemently reject that because it's prideful and it's a gross misunderstanding of leadership's burden of responsibility. Next bullet point. Sadly, I was a better father than husband for many years. This was a, a minister who I respect, who has a great ministry, lots of kids. They're all grown and serving God. But his testimony to me over lunch at an Applebee's was, I was a better father than husband. And so in his case, his kids turn out great, but his marriage was really tenuous for a while. One of my own father's actions that meant the most to me was that despite all his failures and shortcomings or blind spots, he was always first up in the morning long before anyone else praying. No matter what weight he carried on his shoulders, no matter how sick or fatigued, no matter what was going on in the light of day, in the early hours of the morning, I always knew my dad was praying for his family. That is from a woman whose daddy is a pastor, who she serves him in his church and joyfully honors and loves her daddy. So I had to pull her aside and said, what'd your dad do right? 
And that was her testimony. He was always up praying. I could always hear my dad praying for us. Uh, one preacher said, my children saw I was no different at home than at church. And uh, this pastor friend of mine, all four of his kids serve in the ministry. Two of them lead worship for him now. Yeah. The other two serve, one at a different church. This violates what I call the church facade. Everybody has it. You begin to put it on as you approach the church parking lot. Make sure you're the same at church as you are at home because your kids will see how you are at home and wonder, why can't you be that way with us at home? You're so respectful to pastor, Miss Manda. Why can't you be that way to mommy? You love all the other kids in church. You don't ever yell at them when you teach children's church. Why do you yell at us when we're at home? Everybody at church respects you, but I don't. These are, these are my favorite lessons because these folks pour out their heart with years and decades of 2020 vision looking back. My children saw my walk with God, my Bible study, and my prayer life. So hopefully your kids can see the same in you. Um, I didn't have wild emotional swings when we were under attack or when wild reports came in. My wife and I took it all in stride. So if you are emotionally unstable, swinging from fear to joy to terror to anger, you will raise your kids to be emotionally unstable. So if you have a wild pendulum of emotional swing, you've got to fix that. Well, there's no telling how your kids are going to grow up under that bizarre wind. My father's spiritual leadership and personal relationship with God carried more weight with me than a thousand of his failures. Whatever he neglected in his role as father, he made up for in his role as a spiritual father. The consequence to his ministry first ethic was we did not grow up very close, but I grew up learning to put God first and to sacrifice for the church. Now, obviously, there's some error in that, and she's acknowledging it. I didn't grow up close with my daddy, but at least I knew he loved God, and that was instilled in me. Watching my daddy's dedication to God at home, not just in the pulpit, set an example for me. So he wasn't just spiritual at home. He was uh, at church. He was spiritual at home. He didn't just lead the church congregation. He led the family congregation. Arguing and discrediting your spouse in front of your children will teach them you are not united and tempt them to play you against your spouse. And they will. This is from a pastor's wife who all three of their boys serve them in the ministry. My dad loved people no matter what they did to him. This made an impression on me. That was a, that's a preacher's daughter who she and her husband now pastor her daddy's church. As parents, let your kids see you pray, worship, read your Bible, and love each other. Social media families aren't real. A godly family should be your goal. And that's not really a problem from us because contrary to all my friends in the ministry, I preach against social media. <laughs> and we're pretty dry of it around here, so we don't really have the, the sin and heartache that a lot of my preacher friends do because they won't address social media, mostly because their wife's addicted to it themselves. How can you preach against your own household when there'll be hell to pay when you go home? But I tell you, they have a lot of problems in their churches that they would not have if they had leaned against social media. Amen. If you look like the world, then don't get upset when you, uh, with your kids when they do too. We don't really have that problem here, but some churches do. Mama's just a little bit too much of a floosy. And so the daughter grows up thinking that's okay, or dad's whatever, and kids grow up the same way. So let's look at fellowship. Successes, I broke this one into successes and regrets as far as fellowshipping with kids. This is where most parents will miss it. Uh, when you're with your children, be with them. Don't be concerned about what you have to do. These next few are from a missionary lady Marlon and I met on an airplane coming back from Uganda. We sat next to her, or I did. Marlon, were you with me? She had the gauged ears and the tattoos. The gauges had shriveled up. So I could tell she was a former gauge, tattooed, hipster, hippie girl. And so I got to talking to her because we probably had a nine-hour flight together. But she told me she was a missionary, so I was kind of shocked. And she said something to the effect, I know I don't look like it. She said, I backslid for a very long time. I said, why? She said, because my dad was a pastor. And I said, oh, okay. 
I have, this is when my girls were much smaller. I said, I have two little girls at home. Teach me what your dad did wrong. So these are her words, vehement, passionate, looked me straight in the eye, commanded me how to raise my girls. And I took notes on my phone as she shared with me her heart because she had since repented. And she said, obviously, I have the scar. She was tattooed out. Um, her gauges were shriveling, the empty holes. And she, I think she had married an African and was doing a lot of work um, but not without a lot of harm to herself and her heart first. She said, when you're with your children, be with them. Don't be concerned about what you have to do. She said, ask your girls their favorite things, because my daddy never did. She said, take your girls on dates, because my daddy never did. She said, make your office open to them. Let them sit in your lap. And then I add, while still appropriate, because there comes a time when your daughter's 21 years old and people can't tell, is that your daughter or your mistress? So I would say, while it is appropriate, and so for that reason, my girls come up to my office, they'll interrupt anything. They're permitted to interrupt anything in my office but a private meeting. They'll always say, Daddy, can I come up? Sure. And they can interrupt my study, my research, my prayer, and they'll come up there and give me a hug and a kiss. Usually they want Icelandic chocolate because I have a box of it up there. <laughs> Sometimes they want to play Viking chess. Sometimes they just want to sit in my lap and show me their picture. And I learned that from a girl who grew up hating her God and her dad because her dad loved her God more than her in a wrong way. He loved the church more than his little girl. She also said, ask yourself, what can my kids learn through school? What can they learn from church? What won't they get from either? What can they only get from you as a parent? Because we often, in our culture, we leave it to everybody else to raise the kids we believe God for. And that's lazy disgusting and inappropriate. We let the school educate our kids. We want the Sunday school teacher to disciple our kids. We want the youth minister to grow our kids. We want everybody around us to take the responsibility God commanded us to take. And that's very, very irresponsible. So that's the end of her input that I've added here. Another pastor friend of mine said, kids need at least 20 minutes of parental face time a day. My wife said, where do you get that number from us? I don't know. That was an Applebee's conversation, so I wrote it down. But and I thought, well, some kids don't even get that, which is why you'll lose your kids, because if they only see you five minutes a day and you're yelling at them, and then their friends who are weird accept them unconditionally, they'll be parented by their friends who are TikTok influencers. When their heart just wants to be accepted by mom and dad and want mom and dad's attention. Uh, one individual said, I link some of our family strength to the fact that we sat down and ate as a family at least four nights a week. Now, this pastor friend of mine has eight kids. <laughs> he, I said, how are your kids in the ministry serving you in some capacity? He said, we ate at least four meals a week at a table. Now, this is a minister. His kids don't bring him any shame at all. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean there aren't issues, but... This was his word of wisdom to me. And I think about, we have every excuse today why we can't. And usually it's the school system or sports pulling us in 30 different directions. Now, if this man has eight kids, they're all grown now because I know some of them, and they could make time in the 90s and 2000s with all the sports to sit down four meals a week, then something's being pruned to make that happen. Because that family time builds network, it builds heart, it builds trust, it builds openness, it builds camaraderie. It's a debriefing time when the world and school gets knocked off your kids. They get to realign, reset, readjust, recalibrate with mom and dad as the patriarch and matriarch of the family and not the school system or TikTok. And what do we do? We're just, we're just going to hit a drive-thru. Just, I'm just so exhausted. What else do you do? You believe God for these kids, do something with them. It'll save money. It will save your car from smelling like a trash heap. And it'll save your kids from childhood diabetes. But I would also add, I think it's later, uh, you, you should teach your kids how to cook so that your kids help bear the burden. By, if you've got eight kids, by the time one of them's in high school, maybe one of them's two or three years old, the teenagers are helping cook and prepare. It's, it's a little army shop. And everybody's bearing the burden. It's not, if it's all mama's work, she's failing as a mama to raise those kids to be self-sufficient. Amen. Amen. All right. I have taken all my daughters on special daughter-daddy trips, just the two of us. 
And that one really blessed my heart since I have two little girls. In fact, he's kind of a, he's a dad and he's not hip. He's not cool. And so when I was having lunch with him, this has been several years ago now, he said, uh, he said, my one daughter, she's a big Star Wars fan. He said, she's like a geek. And so he said, I found out about this thing called Comic Con. You ever heard of it? I said, I have. He said, yeah, I just discovered it. He said, um, so I set her up and he said, I said, hey, honey, I heard there's this new Star Trek movie coming out with lightsabers. She said, it's Star Wars, Dad, and it's the newest one. He said, oh, oh, he said, and they, they were talking about some kind of like comic festival uh, where they're going to have one of the actors there or something. She said, Dad, it's Comic Con. She said, it's, it's a big deal, Dad. He said, oh, well, it's supposed to be like in Florida soon. And she said, and she knew all about it. He said, oh, well, I got us tickets to it. And he said, she lost her mind. <laughs> he said, it's just the two of us playing tickets, Comic-Con tickets. He said, I was the greatest dad ever. <laughs> Took my 28-year-old daughter to Comic-Con. <laughs> uh, my heart said, man, I, you are cool. I want to be just like you. Be actively engaged in your children's lives, and your example will carry more weight than your words. You've got to be actively engaged in their lives. Be involved with your children when they are young, and stay involved when they get older, whether they like it or not. You stay involved. I've said often when we, they get able to make their own cereal and climb on the counter and fix themselves, it's like we start disconnecting from our parental role not realizing that our parental role never goes away. It just changes. It morphs. You're no longer changing diapers. Now you're wiping bottoms. You're no longer wiping bottoms. Now you're inspecting their teeth being brushed. No, you're, you're no longer doing that. Now you're making sure they're taking care of their room. And then you have other issues you start advancing in. And before long, they're totally bodily sufficient. But then you have to help them with their emotions and their work responsibility and their schoolwork and their friendship just like you have to teach them how to walk and talk and clean up after themselves, you have to teach them how to walk and talk and clean up after relationships and social interactions and how to handle their emotions and their offenses. We think that once they're mobile and they can feed themselves, we're done. And that's a dangerous mindset because you have just begun to disciple them spiritually at that point. Regrets concerning fellowship. Children of ministers, particularly in churches that are growing quickly, can be the victims of neglect while miracles are occurring all around. This is my pastor friend who, whose daughter is an enemy of the cross and the enemy of their own church. And, and you could, I, I, my heart hurts so bad reading his email reply to me. Just because you have miracles over here doesn't mean you're sinning against your God over here. We charismatics are often deceived by the move of God. And just because the miraculous is happening over here, Samson, doesn't mean you're not sinning against your God over here. The pagan dad is at every ball game, every school function. Our kids recognized that and wondered if it would have been better to have a pagan for a dad. That's a damning stab in the heart. One of my pastor friends, his regret was, I wish I had taken more vacations with my family. Another regret was, I wish I had regulated my kids' friendships more closely. I have a lot of pastor friends that have said the same thing. One of my pastor friends, all three of his kids, he's a, he and his wife are great holy ministers. All three of his kids went sexually perverted for a season. His two daughters went lesbian. His son went player. One of the daughters has come back to Christ and rejected lesbianism because she wasn't one to begin with because it's a demon. Yes. And the, the fornicating son repented and married the woman and is doing well now, but he still has a daughter out there who's a lesbian. And I said, how did this happen? And I've told you, his testimony was, we set boundaries for our kids, but we did not patrol the boundary. And he said, he said it this way, there was exchanges with the world that took place at that fence. And that, he said, that's how I lost my two daughters to lesbianism. Holy man of God, I'd have him preach here in a heartbeat. Tremendous wisdom. But this is how they lost it. But he would also tell you he was too busy with ministry. Raising up everybody else's kids but his own. Uh, neglected kids will hate the thing their parents love the most out of spite. 
They'll associate that thing of love with their personal loss, hurt, and pain, even if it's God they end up hating. That sounds like a miserable experience shared from the heart. Your kids will abandon God if they think he's the reason you're never around. Two different ministers saying the exact same thing. Your kids will abandon God if they think he's the reason you're never around. Now, our friend Ken Blunt told me one time, he said, Word of Faith leaders were great at revival but horrible at parenting. And he asked me, how many generational ministries do you see from the Word of Faith revival? And then he starts naming names in private and telling me the sin the next generation and the third generation have fallen into. Because you can get so busy serving God, you forget that you serve God by raising your kids. One of, the, one of the kind of maxims I coined probably six or seven years ago in hearing all this from friends was uh, it helped me to slow down as a pastor and not be consumed with growth, 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 growth. Like, I don't care if we never get any bigger. It's God's church to grow, not mine. But the thing I said, I learned, I don't know if it was in prayer, the Lord spoke it to me, but I don't have to lay the foundation and the weather vane in the same generation. I don't have to lay the foundation of the building, build the building, inf uh, fill the building, then put the weather vane on top in my lifetime. I'd rather make sure my kids catch the vision enough that I can lay the foundation, and if all I ever do is get the framing up, so be it. My kids take over, but at least they take over, and I see them in heaven later. Rather than, I, I look, Lord, I put the weather vane up, and I take my last breath, and my kids never join me in heaven. At that point, what do I care about a building I built or a ministry I developed? It doesn't matter anything. Your kids are your greatest ministry. Too busy can never be acceptable when it concerns your babies. Amen. That was a pastor's wife that shared that with me. So what about worship? I wish we'd had more moments of praying in the Holy Ghost and emphasizing it as an important part of daily life. When we first started doing this with Lydia and Abigail, they were both very, very uncomfortable and embarrassed to do it in my presence. And I didn't get mad at them. I didn't spank them for it. I realized that they're not used to this. So we began to slowly work it up so that now, anytime we drive into town for church, we always pray in the Holy Ghost from a certain point all the way to the railroad tracks there right before 10th Street. So it gives us a good five or six minutes praying in the Spirit together. And now anywhere we go anywhere, Anytime we go anywhere, I can say, all right, let's pray in tongues for a little bit, kids. And everybody just starts praying in tongues. And then I said, bud, bud, you want to pray in tongues? He says, um, not really. Maybe when I am five. <laughs> so at least he's got his faith set. That's three months away. He's going to turn five. And if a kid says, wait, maybe when I am six, I'll say, nope, we won't get spirit filled now, boy. <laughs> I did ask him a couple weeks, so you want to pray in tongues? He said, mm, I don't really know how to do it. Um, I may be a widow, but no, I don't want to. All right, well, we're going to pray in tongues for a little bit, boy. Okay. And then he just looks out the window. <laughs> Fire, I like this one. Fire doesn't fall on empty altars. Teach your children to bring stuff and lay it down for God. It isn't just what we can get, but what we can give him. That's a pretty powerful little word of wisdom. Don't just teach your kids how to ask and receive things from God. Teach your kids how to lay things down for him, like sports and toys. Teach your kids to be generous and to give things away. Teach your kids to look out for the needs of others, even in the local church family. So it isn't just always gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm so blessed, 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 blessed. The blessing of the Lord is such a, a fickle benefit because the first generation that comes to Christ has to pioneer, and it's hard, and we pay the price in suffering, but it affords our children a blessing that they don't understand how we got. So if we're not careful, they're brought up spoiled with prosperity and peace in their home, not knowing maybe the poverty or torment some of us were brought up under. So if we're not careful, we give the thing that is the will of God to our kids, and they don't appreciate it. They don't appreciate the prosperity. They don't appreciate the fact that mom and dad have a degree, and we make six figures or whatever you may make. We live in this nice home when you were maybe raised in something very poor. And they have the peace. They're brought up under the peace of God because mom and dad married in Christ and there's no fighting or bickering. So they're brought up and if you don't teach them how to sacrifice at that stage, they'll end up taking the blessing of God and curse themselves to torment with it. And so 
the vision only lasted your generation because you never bothered to give it to the next one. And so we have to be careful with the blessing because it is the will of God that every child be brought up in the peace and safety of a godly home. But then if you don't strengthen them in Christ, they'll never walk with him on their own. And so they won't know what it is to bear the burden of the gospel ministry or the gospel sacrifice. So, uh, you know, we're, we suffer that same kind of thing. You know, Amanda's story, she was raised in gross poverty by two drug addicts, born illegitimate, living in ratty trailers, and mom and dad smoking weed, and horrific. So our kids will never know anything like that. And so my wife wants to give our kids everything, and so when our kids have to experience no or they have to cry a little bit, it doesn't move me. I say, you know, with our gymnastics, my kids still cry over the loss of gymnastics. It doesn't move me. And I've told my wife, it's good for them to suffer loss. By the way, this is a first world loss. Let them cry. It's good. They're suffering for Jesus, even if it's a first world suffering. They're losing friends. It's good. They got to get used to it. They're being told no. They're getting in trouble. Good. We're not going to pamper our kids. And my wife doesn't want to pamper them, but she's a mama, as you get it. You want to protect them, and you want to nurture them, and you want to shield them. And dad's like, nope, let them fall down. Let them bleed a little bit. Let them skin a knee. You know, let them chip a tooth as long as it's a baby tooth. We'll be all right. <laughs> let them hit each other once or twice. It'll be all right. We can reset the thing later. You can't, if you make everything perfect, if you try to grow this kid hydroponically, under perfect conditions, they're going to be weak when the real world has access to them. And you can't grow your kid under perfect conditions because when you launch them out, they're going to wilt and die because they have no immune. It's like the, the helicopter parent who never lets their kid eat a bug or sanitizes everything. There's going to be no immune system there. They're going to be sick the first 28 years of their life. Let your kids eat worms and dirt and bugs. Let them lick the pe pesticide when the bug guy comes. They'll twitch a little bit, go numb on one side. <laughs> Cockroach will climb up them. With the other hand, they grab it, bite their head off, and they're back at it. That kid will have an ironclad immune system. Sniffles, they'll lick it, and they'll be on their way. <laughs> or you protect them, and they're sickly and weak and weird the whole life. <laughs> Our peoples come from the Stone Age to the tune of almost 8 billion people on planet Earth now. It'll be okay if they eat a worm or a bug or dirt. All right. Okay. Uh, we never invoked the Lord's name in vain, claiming God said something when he hadn't. Pentecostals are horrible at this. It's wicked. That's true blasphemy. That is the true definition of taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, when country folks say GD... JC, and they use it as a cuss word. We call that taking the Lord's name in vain. Biblically and doctrinally, that is not taking the Lord's name in vain. It's vulgar communication. We might lump it together and call it blasphemy, but to take the Lord's name in vain is to invoke his name for your own selfish agenda to control people. You invoke his name. You swear by an oath. I swear by the name of Jehovah God. I won't betray you, and I'm good for this. Or, God, thus says the Lord, when he hadn't said, that's, that's taking the Lord's name in vain, which is why it was a capital crime, and they were to be stoned for it. And so charismatic parents have done this to control their kids. And if your kids ever find out you do it, they'll never trust you again. Right. Uh, you know, the Lord said, I was praying for you, and the Lord said, no, the Lord didn't say nothing. You just don't like their decision. So instead of being that kind of manipulative why not reason with them from wisdom? Yeah. Well, you know, sweetie, wisdom says this. The book of Proverbs says that. Daddy just doesn't feel good about this. You're going to have to trust Daddy here. Don't blaspheme the name of the Lord to control your kids. Education. Know when to harness your children and when to let go. You can't keep your children shaded. You're supposed to be a filter that as your children grow up, you expose them to the things of the world but you regulate how they receive that information. You cannot isolate. You cannot protect forever. You can filter. Your children, as they grow, they're going to have to understand what transgenderism is. They're going to probably have to know what being a furry is, bisexuality and homosexuality. Your children need to learn from you what sexuality is. But that doesn't mean at 10 years old you tell them everything about everything. 
You give them the information as they need to know. Uh, some of you might be concerned about your children losing their innocence. Being taught by holy parents the realities of life does not cost them innocence. It costs them naivety. They're no longer ignorant. The will of God in the garden was from Adam and Eve to learn good and evil from God, not through suffering experience. God would have taught them what good and evil is. He would have given them the law, which automatically shows everything is not acceptable. They decided to learn from experience, so they lost their innocence and their ignorance. You can maintain your innocence through education if we actually had educators anymore. But the, parent, the role of the parent is to educate their children and teach them this is what a homosexual is, this is what a lesbian is, this is what transgenderism is. This is, you're going to hear about these things now called furries. Apparently we have a lot of furries in Livingston Academy. And they're putting out animal food for them. So you've got to explain to your kids. And then, then you've got to be prepared to open or answer all the questions that that can of tender vittles opens. They're not going to lose their innocence because they're innocent in their understanding of it. They're going to look at you like my kids do and say, why? And you'll say, honey, God Almighty has been asking the same question. Daddy asks the same question, so I don't know why, except there are things called demons and bad parents and social media. Know when to harness your children and know when to let go. If you can teach your kids everything before you let them go and let them fail safely in your own home, then when they leave home, they won't fail as painfully. When all you do is guard and protect, and like I said, hydroponically raise your kids under absolute perfect controlled conditions, if you try to transplant them into the August sun, they'll die. And so you have to begin to stage your kids leaving you. Let them get a job out in the world so they can come home after 20 hours a week and debrief with you and say, Mom, I heard some words. Dad, uh, this guy I work with is wearing heels in a push-up bra. We're just making tacos, Dad. What's that about? <laughs> All right, well, son, I guess it's time to have the birds and the birds talk. <laughs> and the birds that identify as the bees and the bees that like other bees talk. What does that mean, Dad? I don't know, son. I'm just as confused as you, but not as confused as them. <laughs> I believe our kids still serve God in part, not serve God in part, but I believe that part of our success is we homeschooled until ninth grade. This was a man who raised his kids in the 90s. The success, he said, is we homeschooled through the, through the ninth grade. Then we began to put them into the local academy. One minister lady said, we grew to serve God in part, so she said part of our success was because my parents kept us out of public school in the 80s and 90s. She said that kept us clean. Um, a ministry lady said public school cost us our son. Until then, they homeschooled until middle school. Until then, he was such a good kid. However, his goodness was untested. And that's a powerful statement. He was such a perfect good kid that we, she said, we thought we could trust him in middle school, but it was an untested goodness. He'd never been around temptation because they were hydroponically raising their son. By that, we're talking about just you raise a plant in nothing but perfect aqueous solution full of nutrients. The roots don't have to work to push through soil to extract uh, minerals out of hard pan or fat clays. It's just easy. So then you transfer that hydroponically grown plant into the backyard. And she said, um, middle school exposed him to less governed friendships. She said, um, our son will tell you to this day, middle school ruined my life. And that's her testimony. That's her lived experience. Discipline. Seagull parenting doesn't work. It only irritates. It's also a management style. So, so you're like, seagull parenting. This is when you as a mom and dad, all you do is you fly in, you squawk, 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 tear things down, poop all over everything, then fly off. That's how some people parent. You don't spend any time with your kids. You come home from work. You yell at everybody. You criticize what they have done. Then you go up to your office to work. 
That is not parenting. That's not even good management. I worked in the secular world for 10 years. We hated managers like this. <laughs> Come in from out of town, you're like, oh, here he comes. Everything is tidy because you know he's going to find something to squawk on. You've got to make sure all your punctuation's right on the porch because he's going to find something to poop on, to tear down. And then you just wonder when he's going to go up to his office and leave us alone. And when your kids look at you as a seagull, they're going to hate you. Oh, here comes dad. You want your kids to always run and say, daddy's home. Daddy, 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 can I show you? And even if it's the wrong color, if it's backwards, you just brag on it anyway. Amen. Amen. <laughs> even if your kids don't put the right dishes in the dishwasher, brag on them for doing something. If you're impossible to please, they'll give up. And they'll take this hard attitude that says, what's the point? Why even bother? I wish I had chilled more on the spanking, one of my pastor friends. But the thing is, that's got to be balanced because some folks have, are too chill. They're like Antarctica on the spanking. But I know his, one of his kids, he was ADHD. That boy needed to be whipped every day like a Cherokee drum. And I think he probably could have dialed back on it. But there were times I wanted to whip the kid like a Cherokee drum because he was just wound tight. He's a good kid today. He's in the ministry, serving God, and he's awesome. Parenting is not a one-size-fits-all model. Every child is different, requires different things, so you can't just master it with your first kid. You've got to adapt for the second, third, and fourth. Boundaries for your children aren't limitations for them. They are security to them. Kids might not know that they like boundaries, but they do. Without boundaries, kids don't know what is or is not acceptable. Boundaries keep kids from feeling and being out of control. So set boundaries, and then as my one preacher friend says, walk those boundaries with your kids and keep rehearsing them. Be consistent in your discipline. If it is unacceptable behavior today, then it will be unacceptable tomorrow. Don't be a shifting standard because your kids won't know what's right and what's wrong. You cannot discipline a child for breaking unknown rules. So don't be ruthless like that. Bud Bud did something the other day, and Lydia said, you want to spank him for it? I said, I can't. He didn't know it was a rule. You know it's a rule because you're six years older than him. We can't spank him for something he didn't know. Don't dispute your parenting discrepancies in front of your children. That goes back to the you'll have a weakness. Pastor Titus says rebellion begins when children can see a hole, a gap in parenting. Don't hide or protect your children from their daddy's discipline. Don't become a lying wife. A good mama says you just wait till your father gets home. <laughs> And then let dad judge the situation and see how he wants to discipline it. But one of my preacher friends, the wife, she said, if I regret anything, this is her number one regret, I would not have hidden my son's sins from their father as much as I did. I was, I was trying to protect them too much. And she said it was big, one of the biggest mistakes she ever made raising her boys. Uh, what I don't add here is that she said children thrive under a dad's firm hand of discipline when it's done right. Children need the loving correction and discipline from their father. You're not helping them by hiding things from dad. Never say, don't tell your father. Never say, don't tell your mother. You're going to ask for devils to come into your home and begin to teach your kids how to lie, manipulate, and disguise things. Discipleship. One uh, friend said, my dad was not good at discipleship. This is a regret. My sister ended up marrying a non-believer because we didn't know what a true disciple looked like. This is a friend of mine who she's married. She's in the ministry. So she was telling me about her sister. Children want to please mom and dad. This should not be impossible. It's not impossible to please God. And he has a much higher standard than mom and dad ever will. So mom and dad, please judge yourself. If your kids are afraid of you, it's because you are impossible to please, which is not biblical. The standard should be written and clear in the home. And you ought to be very just in how you mete out punishment. But God is not impossible to please. The only thing that makes it impossible is if you don't have faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's the only thing it requires. But anywhere and everywhere people fear God and call out to his name with a humble heart, they can please him. Some kids, even in our church, don't believe it's possible to please mom and dad. And that's a failure on mom and dad's part. But they probably inherited that weirdness from their own parents. 
My parents answered any and every question about God we ever had. They said, this is why we still serve God today. They didn't just shush it away. They would spend time answering any and every question. If all you ever do is discipline your children and never encourage them, you're pushing your child to the point of exasperation. Discipline with consistency, not simply when you are boiling over with anger. And I would tell you not to discipline when you're boiling over with anger. Have them go sit down. Have them go sit. Maybe you have like, I don't, I'm not a fan of time. I'll, I think it's psychologically dumb. I know we do it here at church because we can't spank kids uh, as a ministry. But maybe you need to go put yourself in a timeout too to cool down. And then, then we had the sentencing. And then we're going to execute judgment or execute punishment. So the sentence, you're guilty. You punched your brother in the face. I'm so mad at you right now, but I'm not going to spank you in anger. So you go to your room. I'm going to go over here and pray in tongues, drink some coffee, figure out what I need to do with you. Calm down, and that way you can spank them and discipline them without your emotions so they know everything is structured and organized. Not that it's a fair comparison, but even in our judicial system, the executioner doesn't know anything. He's got no dog in the fight. When you do a firing squad, not every bullet is real. And the executioners don't know what's going on. They put a hood over the guy. It's blind justice. The only people who are emotional are those who lost a loved one, and the murderer is about to be executed. There's emotions there. But nothing is done with raw emotion. And so when we start disciplining our kids or yanking them up, beating them because they're making us mad and we're humiliated by them and we're embarrassed, you're not helping the situation. You are driving chaos into their soul. And at that point, they got nothing to lose, so they're going to claw your face and climb up you like a cat out of a boiling pot of water, and and you're going to come away bloody too. Instead of saying, when we get home, I'm going to blister that behind. Until then, you sit and be quiet. You understand me? And you teach them structure and discipline. All right. Um, children need affirmation just as much as they need discipline. We heard a bit of wisdom years ago that was awesome. Don't just let them always hear no. If you give them a no for something, redirect them and give them other options so they don't always feel like the answer is always going to be no. Sweetie, we can't really do that right now, but why don't we do this? Instead, it's always no, 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 no. You got to give them affirmation and redirect them so you don't crush their soul that is designed to be attached to you. Because you're the one that believed God for them. You want to make a disciple out of them, but if you're always putting them away and putting them away, they're going to go somewhere else to get what their soul is designed to need. I wish I would have made my kids work harder around the house. That's a pastor's regret. I don't know to what he's speaking to, but that was one of his regrets. I wish I would have made them work hard around the house. I think if you have kids older than four years old, your house should never be a mess, except for when they're playing in the moment. Because if they're older than four, you've taught them how to empty dishwasher, how to load a dishwasher, maybe not a four-year-old with knives, but they know how to take their clothes to the dirty clothes. They know how to take trash out. They know how to keep their bathroom clean. My kids climb up on the counter and they clean the mirror. My kids take care of their own bathroom. My kids take care of my bathroom at times. The difference is we train them to do this. My wife tells them, I'm not, I don't exist to clean up after you. You're going to live here. This is part of your keep. Take out the trash. And they know how to do it, and it doesn't take long at all. Don't let your children ask for permission in public. That's a challenge often. You may need to step aside because that'll put you on the spot and you need to sometimes have a discussion about what they can and can't do. Hold your children's feet to the fire when they're little, not when they're teenagers. My children saw that condemnation wouldn't follow any crazy news. If you always blow up when they bring you calamity, they'll quit bringing you calamity because they don't need drama on top of their drama. And you as a mom or a daddy got to chill on the drama. You got to chill on your emotions. You're going to have to learn a poker face and listen because they're trying to do what God commands us to do, which is to bring him everything. And when we bring God everything, he doesn't freak out and start screaming at us, yelling at us, or swinging a stick at us. He listens as we pour our heart out. And if you can't get a hold of your emotions and you blow up on your kids every time they try to bring you something, they'll just quit. And they'll learn they can't trust you. 
they'll learn they cannot bring you anything. So the devil will have somebody else to disciple them. And that could end horrifically. I asked this pastor at breakfast, I said, why do all your kids serve in the gospel? He said, probably because my wife and I never blew up no matter what they brought to us. So they've never been afraid to bring us anything. Didn't matter what it was, how outlandish, no matter how destructive it was, we listened to them and then we helped them sort it out. There was punishment at times, but it wasn't raw emotions. So they were never afraid to bring us anything. My parents raised us so that church, anything child or youth related, was never an option. We were, they, she said we were sent to every youth camp that our church made available, every children's department. We weren't allowed to skip to come sit in a service unless we were sick. My wife, Miss Manda, her judgment over the failings of our church families that some of our parents give their kids way too many options. And your kids aren't sick as much as they tell you they are. They are sick. Say, hey, you know what? Church is a good place. Unless you're bleeding or feverish. If you're bleeding, we'll shove cotton in your nose. If you're feverish, we'll put a mask on. That's real trendy now. We'll sit you in the back. Church is the best place for those that are sick. Remember all those sick people that were brought to church? Jesus healed them. Hey, we just don't know. We'll lay you down. I don't care if you bring your kids with a fever. We'll just lay them on the back chair, put a little blanket over them, a little ice pad. be a good place. So they'll learn sickness is not an excuse to skip church. Because I have observed in this church, when kids start getting addicted to excuses and they see how they work, it's really hard to turn that thing off. And then a familiar spirit comes along, and I've watched their life be defined by excuse after excuse after excuse. And now they don't want the excuses, but oh no, that devil said, you've been ringing my bell for a couple years, and here I am. And now it's no longer a teenager skipping church. Now we're dealing with a 30-year-old woman who can't get a career or a husband. So, this was actually Dawn Randolph. She said, my parents raised this so that there was never an option. But then again, her daddy was a Vietnam vet who really didn't squeak at much of anything. I wish we'd been more honest with our kids about families in the church. And what problems may be going on behind the scenes? I'm beginning to recognize this. Uh, I'm beginning to realize that my kids are smart. They're privy to a lot of stuff. And I'm beginning to let them voice their concerns and frustration, even with leaders in our church. I don't shut them down until they've said their piece. Because I want them to learn what is accurate and what is inaccurate. And I want them to also know nobody's perfect because if I start shutting them down now, they won't bring me stuff in the future. So let's say they run down Brother Robert. Brother Robert was just mean to me, and, and I saw him be mean to Miss Angie or whatever. And I say, all right, all right. Okay, well, number one, let's pray about this. Number two, did you see what Miss Angie did? She might have popped him in the face first. You don't know. She's from White County. They're spunky down there. So, but sweetie, don't ever forget that's an elder in our church. That's a senior statesman. That's a world-traveling evangelist. That's a man of God, and we're going to respect them. But if that's what you saw, I want to listen to you, and this is how we process it. Because they're smart enough to see, and they're smart enough to know right from wrong, and we're not going to ever stand with wrong adults over innocent children. So I have to let them learn how to process it, even if they're wrong in their assumption or their judgment. So they bring me the facts, and I'm learning to... Tell them, all right, well, what you saw there, that's appropriate, so we're not going to condemn that. What you saw over here is inappropriate, and I'm proud of you, but this is how you have to deal with it where you're at. And I'll deal with it where I'm at as a daddy or whatever. But if all you ever do is say, we don't talk about that. Mm. They're going to talk about it. It's just not ever going to be with you. And you want to be the one that teaches them how to process and respond to whatever. Lydia did not like her gymnastics coach because she was like your typical Nazi gymnastics coach. I just don't like her. She's so mean. And Mama's like, well, you need the discipline. So we're going to pray for her every day. And you're going to buy her birthday presents and anniversary presents. You're going to like her. It's just what you need. She just, I think she has favorites. Well, why are you not one of them, Lydia? What does she look for in a favorite? Well, harder work. Then give it to her and you'll have her favor. It's not hard, kid. So we let her complain. We let her run her down in the moment, then explain how to process that because the rest of her life, she's going to have people that are mean to her 
because that's life. She's going to have people that don't give her favor because that's life. And we've got to teach her how to process all that. But if we say, that's your coach. You don't say a bad word about her. I, she's spot on with how that coach was. That lady was not friendly. She was not polite. She had no social skills and no smile. And I just thought, I'm glad I'm not your husband. But that's what you need as a coach. So you got to let your kids bring stuff to you. So this pastor said, I wish we'd been more honest with our kids about families in the church and what problems might be going on behind the scenes. And this was in relation to the, their kids hanging out. You can't always let kids hang out with other church kids. And you hate to say it, but it's the honest truth. Because as pastors, you know what's going on behind the family scenes. You know if the family's going through a divorce. You know if there's a weird uncle in the family. And I'm sorry, sweetie, you can't go over there for a play date. Why not? Well, I can't tell them that I just met with the family because the pervert uh, cousin got out of jail. He's staying in their home, and he has a shady past. But maybe now I need to start talking about that kind of stuff. Not that we have that scenario. I just made that up. Trust. I didn't trust my children with their friends or siblings at home, and I never let my son babysit his younger sisters. That one I had never heard of before, but I totally see it. I never let my son babysit his younger sisters. Concerning children at home, don't trust other parents, even church leadership. Um, that one's a tough one to swallow, but I understand it from time to time. This pastor told me, my kids never got in any trouble but with elders' kids. And he said, and it irritates me that my elders who qualified to lead at one point, their kids grew up, and that he said, my son, the only time he ever got in trouble was with the elder's son. He said it was just bad juju between the two of them. And so then what do you do about that? And he didn't give me the answer because he was still irritated about a certain situation. So that just means we've got to get our elders and our deacons to where they live up to their office, according to Timothy. You don't get in trouble living in a glass house as much as you get in trouble in a dark room with the door shut. I don't remember who told me that one, but I really like that one a lot. Preachers have to live in glass houses. It's not the glass house that gets you in trouble. It's the dark room with the door shut. We don't let our kids go to bed with iPads. They, they have iPads. They do PBS kids. We don't let them shut the door with that stuff. Even here at the church, they'll go somewhere publicly with it, and, and we check on them. You can't trust kids with social media. May God help us raise up another generation of children for his glory. Amen. Father, we thank you for this lesson. We thank you for helping all these families. We need your help, Lord. It's a weirder day than ever. And our society's drunk with perversion. They pass it off as acceptable. And our kids are being exposed to it at a younger age. God, have mercy on these school systems, these superintendents, these doctors, these, these parents who think perversion is cool and trendy and act like society's always believed it. Have mercy on them, Lord. Help us to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.